Welcome back to the Jim Leach Show. We talked on Friday about the fact that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had released new guidance on getting students back into classrooms, saying the top priority was to have those students in the classroom for in-person instruction. State public health and education officials quickly said, we're on board with this. We are fully behind this guidance. But it did still leave a lot of questions unanswered, questions that are so important that Springfield School Superintendent Jennifer Gill is now making her second live appearance in one day on this radio station to answer questions about it. Superintendent Jennifer Gill, we always appreciate your time and your generosity with it. Thanks for being here on the program. Yeah, happy to be here. Well, I want to start because I know uh, that you have been going over this all weekend. You've been consulting with your team, uh, and uh, this did still seem to leave a lot up in the air. So so if you can kind of let us know where we stand right now, do you have a a pretty good handle on what you need to know to bring students back into classroom with the the balanced calendar school starting uh, in in less than 10 days, uh, and then everybody else just a few weeks after that? What's still looming out there that you haven't nailed down yet? Yet. Well, you know, what we did was take take the document that was provided by the CDC and the Illinois Department of Public Health, along with other uh, documents that Illinois State Board has provided us along the way, and just tried to chunk it out and, and see where our questions are. So, you know, getting that communication out uh, throughout this week will be essential for those two balanced calendar schools, as you discussed, at Southern View and Graham, and they are heavy into registration. So if you're from one of those schools, please head over to the school and and get registered. I think this guidance did um, help us with a couple of of big pieces. One, we know that we're still going to need layered levels of support and just-in-time support throughout the school year. Um, But it did state quite clearly that we do not have to require masks for those who have been fully vaccinated. So one of the things that that brings up is how do we know? who has been vaccinated and who hasn't. So families will see a question on our registration form uh, when our uh, online registration starts for regular uh, calendar schools here on the 19th. We will be asking, has your child been vaccinated? Um, Asking them to upload um, proof of that if if they can. Uh, They don't have to answer that question. It is not something that we can legally require, but it will be so helpful for us and doing any contact tracing that we have to do in the event of a positive case uh, that might come about. Uh, Two things are for sure. If you are fully vaccinated and you come in close contact with a positive case, you will not have to quarantine um, and stay home from school. And also any testing programs that we have, you will not have to do the testing program if you're fully vaccinated. So those are two reasons for um, individuals to consider vaccination, ask their medical professional if they have any questions or uh, visit the Illinois Department of Public Health website and they have a lot of information. Uh, That information will be very helpful to us. We'll also be asking our employees as well so that we can do better a better job of contact tracing and making sure that we communicate uh, with people accordingly. If a family or a staff member simply opts not to answer the question, will they be treated as unvaccinated for all those scenarios that, that you discussed? 
Yes, and the, and that statement will be on the registration form very clearly that if you mark this box, you will be considered unvaccinated. Uh, and, and that brings us back to the question of masks. Uh, again, the, the CDC making it clear that if you are fully vaccinated and can show it, uh, you don't have to wear a mask, whether inside or outside the, the school building. Uh, unvaccinated people, I, I guess I interpreted that as those who were unvaccinated, uh, all kids 12 and under who were not yet eligible, plus anybody else who chooses not to get it uh, should be wearing the masks. I thought I heard you say this morning when you were on with Greg Bishop that uh, that isn't necessarily a requirement. So is there a chance that District 186 will not require masks for those who are unvaccinated or simply opt not to say whether they're vaccinated? I believe I said this morning it's going to be um, kind of a pressure point or a problem point for us because it's going to be very hard to determine Um, If you're just in a hallway, you know, who's vaccinated and who's not and who's not wearing the mask. Uh, The last thing we want is for this to become um, a real serious, you know, a, you know, disciplinary problem where we're having kids, you know, get in trouble for not wearing their mask. And it's going to be very hard for us to police. It's just one of those struggle points that all districts across the United States are going to face. How how do you. Well, I guess let me start with what sort of consultation have you had with the SEA on that point? Because obviously that's going to be an issue for for teachers and and workers in the building as well. If you have people there who may potentially pose a risk uh, as to whether or not they they can they themselves feel safe in that environment. Well, you know, it is it is something that we are coming to the table. Actually, I have a meeting scheduled tomorrow um, and we will be making sure that we go through all of these issues with our local SEA representatives and any other union uh, representation, you know, in our district, but also talking with parents. And it'll be an education point for students. It's just like any other rules that you have to follow. It's educating them and making sure that they understand. However, as we can see unfolding in the media across the country, these issues of mask versus not mask are very, um, you know, Pluralistic. You know, you can find a story on it almost every day. We just want to be um, back in school, teaching our students, making sure that they get the best of their educational experience, um, and making sure that we provide as many opportunities to become vaccinated uh, that we possibly can in our community, and making sure that we um, are offering those clinics and continuing to do so throughout the summer and into the early fall next year. This is one of those uh, issues, though, that it's it, it's pretty binary. You you either are taking a line that says if you're not vaccinated, you, you have to wear masks. We expect that or we just aren't going to worry about it. Uh, so I, I guess the question is, when you talk about it as a pressure point, how do you resolve that uh, to the, the satisfaction of, of everyone? And can you do so or do you simply have to say we expect masks if you're not vaccinated and, you know, if, if we catch you without it, you could potentially be be penalized for that just because everyone's safety is at stake. You know, those are exactly the conversations that we're going to continue now that we have the written guidance um, from the State Board of Education. Um, You know, we will continue to have these conversations with the school board, with our local uh, representatives, and making sure that we have a clear-cut policy by the beginning of the school year that we can all um, agree to. I think the most important thing is if you're vaccinated, that's going to be your best protection to be safe. Um, If you choose not to get vaccinated or cannot be vaccinated, we're going to implore you to wear a mask so that you do keep yourself safe 
and others who may be unvaccinated safe. Um, but if you have the opportunity to get vaccinated uh, 12 and over and also our employees, we we hope that you will choose to do so so that you can um, make sure that you're you're vaccinated against this virus. And if you choose not to at that point in time, we're going to have to talk to those groups that I just mentioned and make sure we have a clear cut policy because you're right. It's extremely binary. Um, and the answer to whether I can make everybody happy, the answer is probably no to that. Uh, so we're just really wanting to get back into the school year, uh, back into um, education, you know, direct instruction during the school day. And we do want our parents to know that school is in person this year, all day long, five days a week, um, providing the services that we always have in the past. So that is something that is different with this guidance is that there's no option for parents to opt in to remote learning. Uh, the only time we'll be providing remote learning is if there is a need for it because of quarantine. Uh, that's the guidance did state that. Or if you um, have a medical need and you need uh, homebound instruction, we do have a process that we, we can go through uh, to provide that. But it will be less of an opportunity uh, than we were giving last year with true remote learning. Let me ask about that. I don't know if you know the answer to this yet. But in those situations where, as you noted, you may have uh, a situation where students may have to quarantine if they're unvaccinated and exposed to the virus. Uh, and if that happens and they have to be at home, will this be a situation where you're going to have a teacher trying to simultaneously teach their students in the classroom and have students logged in remotely at the same time? Or would there be some other provision for the students who are learning remotely in that scenario? Do, do you know yet how that works? Well, this is this is one of the other pressure points that we have. Teachers found that very difficult last year to be able to juggle both in-person and remote learning at the same time. We called it high-flex instruction. Uh, so that is one of our topics that we will be discussing, um, you know, with our employee groups making sure that we have a good plan of action in place that, that meets their needs, but also meets the needs of the students. Um, it is not a student's fault when they um, come in close contact and have to quarantine. We don't want to penalize them. We want to continue their learning. Um, we are in this to serve our students and their learning needs. So we need to come together and make sure that we have a good plan as we move forward. Um, I was just last night talking with our, our SEA president, and we were saying this is one of our primary things that we need to focus focus on. So I would say to families, um, more information to come. We've been anticipating this question uh, for some time, and I think we have some some good uh, next steps in place, uh, but we want to shore those up with them, and, and then we'll be able to uh, explain how that will work to the public before the beginning of the school year and also work alongside our balanced calendar schools in short order here. Springfield School Superintendent Jennifer Gill is here with us this afternoon, and before we got this new CDC guidance on Friday, Superintendent Gill and other large district superintendents around the state had been seeking clarification. One of the areas of concern, in addition to discussions about masks and things, was to do with social distancing. What would be the rules and requirements there? We now know that guidance is calling for three feet of social distancing. Uh, but, Superintendent, I know you've expressed concern that some of the older, smaller buildings in the district uh, might be a problem for that when you have virtually all students back again. Do you have a sense yet as to what, if any, buildings in the district, will it be more difficult to uh, to accommodate that three feet of social distancing and what other accommodations you may have to make in, in those locations well and and this is where the the masking may be episodic 
so for instance, um, and once again, we're, we're going to hash all these things out and we'll be very communicative with the media about everything that, that we're going to put in place. But there was a provision in there that said we realize that not every location and every school, every minute of the day may be uh, possible for three-foot distancing to occur. So during those open times um, when you're moving in the hallway, we may ask for masks to be worn. We may ask for classrooms that are a little bit more crowded for, for masks to be worn. Those are the things that we yet have to, to hash out. We know that there are proponents uh, both uh, on either direction. And so those are things that are very, very difficult for us to navigate in tighter classroom spaces. So instead of saying names of schools, I just think that almost every school is going to have at least one space or one period of one day where social distancing may not be as possible as maybe the next period where they have fewer students in that classroom. So welcoming all students back five days a week. Um, for for um, full days, you know, we are going to have some classrooms that, that do have some, um, you know, less than three foot in some cases. And in those things, we're going to have to work out what all of those logistics will look like. I, I want to ask you, and I don't know if there's even a way to, to evaluate or quantify this, but there's a lot of talk about uh, masks being burdensome, particularly on students having to wear them all the time. I have grandchildren who admittedly are preschool age, but my, my grandson has been in a classroom setting uh, for preschool wearing a mask all day. Is very used to it because kids are just so adaptable. Has there been any talk about whether the, the masks have been a, a real problem for students back in classrooms, or have they they just, you know, come to deal with it because, you know, kids kids do adapt to things. You know, we have been so impressed with our students' um, ability to kind of deal with the, the ups and downs of wearing a mask and having one available. We made sure that we had extras available at the schools and, and passed them out as well. So we really did not see any trouble with this um, during the spring or during our summer school programs where masks have been required. Um, it's it's not something that we've had trouble policing. I think as we start to loosen up, we may have a little bit more pushback here and there. Um, and so, you know, I think we just want to make sure that we are making sure we, we put the safety of our students first, making sure that we, we think very carefully before we come out and make any absolute statements one way or the other, um, and make sure that we're, um, you know, just look, looking at all angles of the scenario. But no, you're right. I mean, our youngest learners have become very adapted to it. Um, I, I do anticipate from this guidance that we will require masks at elementary until vaccines can become uh, more readily available for the younger students. It is only 12 and older now that can receive that vaccine. Okay, so and and just so I'm clear on that, because I know we had talked about, you know, some of the challenges of, uh, you know, requiring masks for students who are unvaccinated. But in buildings where virtually all kids are unvaccinated because they can't get the vaccine, uh, you do anticipate that masks will be the, the requirement there. Um, yes, from the guidance from the State Board of Education, that is what I, what I, how I understood that. Okay. Um, if they're unvaccinated, that we should still remain masked. A uh, couple of other questions, real quickly, Superintendent. Uh, you, you talked about summer school, and I know there was a big push to really expand those offerings this year to try to help kids make up some of the lost ground during this very difficult pandemic year we have just gotten through. D- do you have any sense yet as to how effective that's been? Are kids, in fact, making up that ground? How, how do you? you assess that and what does that mean for the fall and how you approach uh, curriculum and instruction when everybody's back in a classroom? Well, I think it's twofold. Um, For the students that are our younger students that were attending Camp Compass, they've had 
in-person school activities. Um, you know, they've had in-person instruction for during the summer and then continue to have during the next few weeks, uh, the summer school interaction with other students. So I think that's going to really help uh, with student social-emotional learning, with their school readiness, with their getting back into the swing of things, uh, being in class with other students, not online, but, but in person. So I think we'll just see, for those students who are able to attend that or any of the many community programs that are happening um, across the district, we're very um, happy that that has been offered. Um, as for middle and high school, I think you'll see some students that got um, past the learning curve a bit. Maybe they had uh, less opportunities uh, during the uh, pandemic year uh, to, to get that in-person instruction. Now they had in-person instruction or maybe feeling a little bit more school ready and have their school legs back on. For high school, we've seen a great number of credits be recovered of students who may not have done as well with online learning. Uh, so I look forward to it. Our, our one of our upcoming board meetings, really giving some statistics about how many credits were recovered during the summer. Looking forward to that. What does this mean as far as assessments in, in the coming year? Are you going to do the kind of standardized testing we've done in the past? Will it mean anything given the upheaval of the last couple of school years? Well, we do give the MAP assessment, uh, which is um, a test that that measures students where they are in their journey of learning. And we give that at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the school year. It is an online assessment, which students should feel more comfortable doing now that they've had a year of online instruction in many cases. Um, and we will be giving that assessment as we begin the school year to kind of let us know where students are in their learning journey. That allows each individual uh, teacher to analyze that data and see the supports uh, that students may need. Um, as for state testing, we have not really been given any um, indication about whether we will be giving uh, the annual state assessment uh, that we, we always give. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see on that note. Um, but I think that those in-classroom assessments that the teacher gives uh, that goes along with our curriculum. It's also going to be very uh, good information for teachers as they help design their instruction to support our students. Springfield School Superintendent Jennifer Gill, we always appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you.